This is FS Uncovered, the podcast of M&M Service Company, serving our customers' needs by providing excellent products, services, and innovative solutions. I'm Kristen Marquis, Marketing Assistant with M&M Service Company. Today, I have with me Tony Haber, our Energy Marketing Manager, Tanya Crow, Growmark's Energy Sales and Marketing Director, and Steve Whaley, Director of Autogas Business Development for the Propane Education and Research Council, otherwise known as PERC. Thanks, everybody, for joining me today. So, Tanya, we'll start with you. You've been on our show um, in the past, but if you just want to give us a quick recap of your background with Promark and... Oh, sure, sure. So, uh, I've been with FS, with FS member companies for 25 years, and now spent a couple of years here at Growmark and and uh, working in uh, both in the ag and on the energy side of everything uh, here in the last 20 years. It's been focused mainly on energy. So... Uh, through that, been uh, working heavily with the propane uh, Illinois Propane Gas Association, and then got involved with the National Propane Gas Association. So then that gets me to uh, be able to work with legislations that is uh, going through um, through state house and also on the national level, and uh, then it also has the relationship with PERC, and that's where I have dug up my friend Steve. <laughs> So, Steve, uh, thanks for joining us today. If you could give us a little bit about your background, how you started in propane, and your path to your role today. Thanks, Krista. And, and Tanya, I really appreciate uh, letting the listeners know that I am as old as dirt, okay? Uh, <laughs> and thanks for digging me up, for, for, for bringing me to this as, uh, as well. And, Tony, it's, it's great to be with you. Um, my, my background has been in launching technology. Pretty much all my life, and uh, I won't tell you exactly how old I am, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's been several career paths. But before coming into the alternative energy space uh, back in 2006, I was doing anti-counterfeiting and counterfeit deterrency and detection in, in currencies around the world. So I've always loved technologies, and I've had a, a pretty good knack for, for launching new ones. So when, uh, when I got into the energy space, uh, especially with propane in transportation as an alternative energy, it was uh, it was exciting. Um, beat my head against the wall for the first couple of years, but uh, after that, uh, they started falling like dominoes. It's been it's been a fun fun path. Uh, but that's that's been my background. Now that I'm with the Propane Education Research Council, um, it's 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 a broader role that I've had in just working for propane companies and uh, and, and dealing with. Uh, auto gas implementation into commercial and public fleets. Uh, the Propane Education Research Council has afforded me a, uh, a, a broad spectrum of, of working with OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, as well as infrastructure uh, solution providers, and also working with you know the nation's top fleets for, for providing energy and meeting their you know, economic as well as emission goals. All right, thanks for that, uh, Steve. Can you tell us a little bit about PERC, what they do, and their role in the propane industry? Sure, sure. PERC is a, is a nonprofit, just to, just to make sure everybody understands. Uh, we, we provide learning uh, for, for propane safety. That's one of our biggest areas, safety and training programs. But we also invest in research and development of new propane-powered technologies. And that's a big part of what we do as well. Um, you know, for, for example, you know, uh, go, going to an engineering group and getting them to de 
develop a, a propane system for a certain vehicle platform and then uh, not only accomplishing that goal, but they were so, you know, this OEM was, was so impressed with it, they launched their own division of selling it. It's one of the most popular ones today. Uh, so PERC has, has a, a wide diversity. Um, my, my role with PERC is, is in the business development auto gas, but there's also agricultural, residential, commercial, off-road, power uh, generation. There's, there's a lot of different business development sectors, and I'm just the one that's responsible for the on-road uh, application of auto gas in, in vehicles and transportation. Thanks for that information, Steve, and thank you again for, for, for joining us uh, today. You know, you talk about auto gas, which is, which is where, you, where your expertise is in, and that's really what we want to talk about today. And really, you know, first question we, I have for you is, you know, when we talk about auto gas specifically, how is propane with auto gas currently positioned in the automotive marketplace, and where do you think that fits in? Uh, alongside of some of the other alternatives that we're, we're hearing about in the news. Sure. Well, let's, let's, let's get to bragging over with Earth, okay? Um, you know, auto, auto gas is the term that we use for good old regular propane that, uh, you know, you might be grilling with on your back deck or draining, you know, used for grain drying or, 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 or heating and in, in incubation, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's the exact same propane. Uh, but when it goes into an over-the-road transportation application, we do call it auto gas. So if, if you hear me talking about auto gas, it is exactly the, the same fuel. And auto gas worldwide is the most popular alternative to gasoline and diesel uh, to, to move in any transportation sector. Uh, so just, just putting it out there, 26 million vehicles operate on propane auto gas worldwide. And uh, so that's how we're currently positioned here in these United States, uh, where, quite frankly, we produce more propane than any other country in the world. Um, so we have a, a terrific uh, resource here in our in our own home you know, country. And uh, our spot, because you know, gasoline and diesel prices are so inexpensive here in the United States compared to other countries, um, we uh, we we. Mostly hang out in the medium duty space. When I say medium duty, I'm talking about uh, weight classes of vehicles that range from class three through seven. Um, I, I will uh, uh, give EV where it's uh, it's due, and electric vehicles do well in the consumer light duty passenger vehicles where you don't have to go too far or work too hard. Uh, and I'll also give natural gas its due. And that is, you know, they have some great technology solutions in the class eight, you know, that, that, uh, uh, 33,000, uh, pound, you know, that, and, and above, um, where it works really well. But propane auto gas owns the medium duty market. So anything class three through, through seven, we're, we're, we're going to top out in, in all those applications. So why do you think, um, you know, we see the, ma the majority of those 26 million vehicles that you mentioned, they're, um, they're overseas, right? And so they've been successful for so many years. Why do you think that they have been able to uh, push that forward over what the United States maybe has been able to? Well, economics drive most everything, Tanya. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, when, you're, when you're faced with extremely high uh, gasoline and diesel pricing compared to the extremely low propane pricing, 
even the uh, the consumer with their vehicle will will put on an aftermarket conversion system to operate on propane, and most of those are a bi fuel system, uh, so that you can get those uh, uh, installed very inexpensively. Uh, but with gasoline prices so 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 low here in these United States, it, it's not as economically uh, uh, viable for for folks here as it is overseas. And there's, it's, it's a complex issue. Um, the systems here in the United States might cost a little bit more because of the EPA and CARB regulatory you know systems in place uh, to get them certified. Um, so there are a whole the systems themselves for the vehicles are a lot less expensive overseas. And the fuel prices here are a lot less. So when it comes time to uh, to, to operate with propane, that class three through seven uh, is is a working vehicle. Uh, so it's it's going a long way and it's using a lot of fuel. And when we can give folks a you know, just I'm, I'm making this up right now a dollar a gallon uh, cheaper than, than than gasoline and, and maybe a little you know dollar fifty a gallon cheaper than than diesel then when they're using a lot of gallons, they get back their investment in getting a propane vehicle uh, real quick. You know, for, for, for example, uh, we recently penetrated the United States Postal Service uh, independent contractors market. Um, they use uh, box trucks, 26-foot box truck, and uh, they're moving mail between the, the postal offices and distribution centers. Um, they're they're doing 70,000 of the 92,000 routes that the United States Postal Service has. Now, the Postal Service does their first mile, last mile. You see them coming to your door, pick it up, and deliver a mail. But all the other mail gets moved by these independent contractors that own their own trucks, pay for their own fuel, and <clears throat> these these trucks are operating six and a half days a week, all day and all night, and they're going through a 1,000 gallons of fuel per truck per month. So when you can save them a dollar fifty a gallon, uh, you can you can get a return on investment really quick in that environment. So we're seeing a lot of adoption, you know, going into those applications. Whereas, for for example, my my wife will drive her her, her little passenger car, you know, to and from uh, school, you know, six miles here and six miles back, and and she might go through, you know, ten gallons of fuel. Uh, a, a month, <laughs> you know, just for that little bit. And so when you're when you're getting your return on investment by the, the fuel cost savings, you know, the more gallons you go through, the, the faster that return on investment is going to come. And that, that applies to the emissions as well. If you're if you're really trying to reduce emissions, then you know the more gallons of gasoline and diesel that you can displace with something cleaner like you know propane auto gas, you're you're making a bigger environmental impact too. So that, and that's why we 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 really own that medium duty space. Gotcha. Thank you. Steve, the last few months, really, you know, maybe even go back a couple of years, we've seen a lot of the automotive companies make commitments with, with, with alternative fuels versus gas and diesel. Where does propane kind of fit in that landscape over the next few years? Where, where do you see auto gas fitting in? Well, there, there has been a, uh, a, a tremendous movement. Now, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, there was a huge movement uh, to, to, to put natural gas uh, into in, in virtually everything, um, you know, small, light-duty vehicles all the way up to Class 8. And, you know, it settled into the Class 8 where it made the most economic sense um, and for environmental sense. So we, we expect the same thing uh, is basically going to happen with, with EV. EV's got a, a great reputation in that light-duty space. 
but with a mindset to electrify everything, um, you know, class three, four, five, six, seven, all the way up to class eight tractors to do, you know, EV only kind of mindset is, is a little unrealistic. Um, battery technology isn't there. Our grid can't handle it. Uh, but still that mindset is, is, is permeating the public now. And because you just, you know, plug it in, it's perfectly clean, right? Um, and so we do a lot of, of science at the, uh, Propane Education Research Council, uh, to, to test and then also get that math and science out to the general public so that people really understand. And I suspect that folks will, will see that, uh, electrifying everything isn't going to be, uh, not, not just not feasible, but it's not cost effective and it's not really reducing the emissions that people thought it was. Um, so propane is, is, is positioned very well, uh, for that medium degree space and, act, and actually growing it too. Um, we, uh, we, we deal with, uh, not, not like Tonya does on the legislative level. We don't do the, the, the lobbying portion at, at FERC because, you know, we're, we're, we're not allowed to, to begin with. Uh, but our, our focus is on education, research, and that science behind it. Um, so although we're not doing that, that legislative, you know, type of, uh, uh, you know, lobbying and portioning, we, we provide the information that regulators need to understand the real science behind it. And one of the studies that we've done this past year has been extremely effective. And what we did was we, we measured the grid, the carbon intensity of the grid, uh, in, in all 50 states. And did an average, and its, it's average is, is 165. Now that carbon intensity number uh, is, is is from the EIA, not not, not Steve and, and his team making up science. Uh, <laughs> but that same EIA is uh, you know it's, it's government you know numbers uh, puts propane at a carbon intensity of 79. So carbon intensity is is kind of a measuring stick. But if you really want to uh, find out how many tons of greenhouse gases something is producing in its life cycle. That's what we've done. So I've cut all the way down to the chase. You take one of these medium-duty trucks that we've been talking about lately, and you drive it 200 miles a day for a year. If you use a battery electric truck charged from the grid compared to a propane vehicle, you know, the same size vehicle doing the same duty cycle, propane vehicle is going to be 124 tons of CO2 less than that battery electric vehicle doing the same work. And that's because the electric grid is made up of all kinds of energy sources, coal and natural gas and other things that are contributing to it. Some of it's wind and some of it's solar, which is renewable, some of it's nuclear. But on an average, these United States, we are producing, with our regular good clean propane now, 124 tons of CO2 less per year per vehicle than that battery electric charge truck. And so when we get that messaging out and, and show the science and math that, that creates all of that, it starts to make a difference. And so that's what we're doing. Wow. I think I think it's been fun to learn some of this, this greenhouse gas uh, information that's been coming out. One of the things I thought was funny is um, they talk about the California dreaming maybe is what they're, they're saying by 2035 that they want no more um, combustional engines. And if every state did that, we're talking about electrical use could go up to 5 billion kilowatts, um, from 5 billion kilowatts up to 993 billion kilowatts. And I just can't imagine 
that the grid could ever handle anything like that. And then you, you talk about doing that, then it takes our gas usage down to 8% of what it is today. And, and we have such a delicate balance in our supply chain. Um, those are things that just, it makes it hard for me to understand how we, how it seems that some of this wants to go down one path and one path only when really there's just a lot of paths to this, right? There, there are a lot of paths and, and using, maximizing the benefits of each of those energy sources in the application that gives you the best return on investment for, you know, displacing gasoline and diesel uh, and also, you know, reducing the, the greenhouse gases, but don't forget the harmful emissions that come out of the tailpipe too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a electric doesn't have a tailpipe, so people think, oh, it doesn't create any emissions. And you know, everybody should know that there's no such thing as a zero emission vehicle because those emissions are created somewhere else in the supply chain, namely at a power plant. Mm -hmm. And you know, now that you brought up California, when we do our NOx emission comparisons on that medium-duty truck operating in California, that the, the number of grams of nitrogen oxide, you know, that kind of nasty stuff that comes out of the tailpipe that creates all the respiratory illnesses, um, we are at 44 grams of NOx per mile running on regular propane. The electric grid is generating 86 grams of NOx for every mile that it drives with that battery electric vehicle. So, I mean, we're nearly half of the NOx uh, cre created in that in that environment. So it's not just the greenhouse gas reductions that we're providing on the return on investment, but it's also the tailpipe emissions. It's not happening at the vehicle, but it's happening at that power plant that's producing the energy that gets charged in that vehicle. So when you look at the life cycle analysis of this, propane really has a tremendous benefit in that uh, in that medium duty range. Awesome information, Steve. Can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, and and discussing this uh, this subject with us this morning. No, it's all it's all my pleasure. We we've got some exciting things coming up too because as the electric grid gets cleaned up and and if they meet all of their goals, you know, of ninety five percent renewable by the year twenty thirty five, propane is there too. We uh, we we've been developing and using renewable propane. Uh, which has a much lower carbon intensity. And uh, we, we've actually dispensed 9 million gallons of renewable propane into the transportation sector in the last two years, and it's growing rapidly. But not just renewable propane for the, uh, the, the fuel, we're doing new technologies. We have the second largest any manufacturer in the world comes, has now uh, produced, you know, with a joint partnership with PERC, we, we help fund the research for it, a purpose-built propane engine, and it happens to be in a, in a 6.7 liter displacement, and it actually surprised everyone, especially Cummins, because it produced more horsepower and more torque than diesel in that same displacement of power. It's 375 horsepower with 808 foot-pounds of torque coming out of this engine, and it was 25% less on greenhouse gases as well. So we're really excited about that. It's, it's been in a test mode for uh, this past year. It's got about 20,000 miles on it. It's actually in a, in a, in a propane bobtail delivery application in, uh, <laughs> in the state right next door in Indiana. Uh, so we're really excited about the prospects of, of that technology. But I say all that on the fuel side and on the uh, research and development side of our applications. 
we're not stopping either. We're getting better every single day. That's awesome. It's always amazing to hear how propane can be used other than just heating your home or shop or whatever. So that's definitely some interesting and exciting things that Perk is researching and coming up with. So awesome. Uh, Steve, just one other question I have for you. Um, Your position, definitely interesting in what you do. And what advice would you give to someone who's new and trying to establish a career in, in your type of field? Well, this uh, uh, trans- or energy in general is a, is a very exciting field. Um, en- energy is, is what uh, uh, distinguishes you know, communities and, and, and countries from, from their entire uh, uh, you know, style of, of, of living. And uh, you know, even in, in third world countries, you, you see where, where propane is, is used to you know, provide heating and provide cooking and all of those applications. So the energy space is, is full. And what we need to do is be much more conscious of where we get our energy from and how we use it, conserve it, and the effects it has on our environment. Uh, and so get, getting into that space, a lot of what leads up to how energy is used starts with transportation. Uh, and that's why you've seen, you know, a lot of talk about, you know, cleaning up transportation because it's one of the biggest contributors to uh, the, the environmental impact. So where transportation goes, other things go as, as well. So advice for folks uh, that, that might want to get into this energy space and especially the alternative energy space is, uh, you know, studying energy uh, in, in school, but also, you know, doing kind of what you're doing, Kristen, with, a, with an internship. Uh, testing things out in various places. And I've been a huge proponent of uh, doing lots of internships. And when I, when I serve on committees, especially education committees in, in community colleges and tech schools and universities, it's, uh, I, I, I'm, I recommend the most highest to not just, you know, uh, allow for internships, but make them mandatory. Because I think you learn a ton going that route. So uh, if, if any of your listeners want some help getting connected uh, with, with an energy provider that allows you to, uh, to learn more about this, I'd be happy to coach them along the way. Great. Thank you so much. Before we let you go, Steve, and, and especially now that we have, we have Tanya here joining us as well, who's uh, got a shout out with a, with a, with a two-time guest, always, uh, always like to have, uh, have that, uh, people coming back. Uh, a couple months ago, we asked a question that stirred up a lot of controversy internally, and I'm going to have to circle back and bring it up again. So I'm going to, I got to ask you to, and you could think back on this and you can, you could, it could be as an adult growing up as a kid anytime, but I need to have your Mount Rushmore of, uh, favorite breakfast cereals. Um, Captain Crunch with Crunch <laughs> That, that, tell me about that that's hands down the easiest one I could I could do because we never got to have it. You know, I, I the only time I ever got to have it is if I saved up the mowing lawns enough to go buy my own. <laughs> I can think I can think back as, back as a kid too when it came to breakfast cereals. We weren't allowed to have any kind of sugar cereal as a as a child. So any opportunity I had to 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 indulge, it was it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I had all kinds of sugared stuff when I was growing up, and that was my favorite. I mean, cereal what could be breakfast, lunch, and supper. 
And it's sometimes is now for my daughter right now. <laughs> and I let it go because, you know, I survived. I grew up okay. Um, but Cookie Crisp was always my favorite when I was little. And then as I got older and matured, then I, I moved up to Crispex and a little bit Cheerios. And then I tell you, for the last three years, I have been doing the low carb thing. Cereal is the only thing that I, I'm dying. I miss. I miss so badly. <laughs> to, to, to the listening audience, you know, of course, this is a very visual podcast. Uh, but, Chris, you know, Chris has just given one big eye roll because when we had this discussion a couple months ago, she had to edit out about 10, 10 minutes of the conversation that went on. Uh, so she's really excited to to circle back and re-enter this discussion. Talk about surreal. <laughs> yes. It was it was a long edit process for that uh, episode. Well, I just, like I said, it stirred up controversy, so I had to had to bring it up again. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> Well, thanks again, Steve and Tanya, for joining us today. All that excellent information on propane and the auto gas industry and what's going on out there. It's been my, my pleasure. And if, if I can have one parting comment, and that would be uh, the, uh, the, the success that we have seen here in the United States with, with propane auto gas has, has been led by the school bus industry. And you know, we now have 22,000 school buses operating on propane, reducing NOx emissions by 96% compared to the you know, best-in-class diesel that's, that's operating next to them. And the next three areas of biggest growth, market growth, is in food and beverage delivery. Nestle Water has over a 1,000 of their water delivery trucks operating on propane, and everybody knows the Schwann story with their 4,000 vehicles operating on propane. But it's a parcel and package delivery, like the United States Postal Service, FedEx, UPS, all of those see the great benefits of, of propane. But our market share of the paratransit industry, which you know is using about 600 gallons of fuel per month in those uh, in those van shuttle cutaways that are moving you know uh, folks you know in each county around in these United States. We have 14% of that now. We have over 7,000 of those operating in, uh, in, our, in our country nationwide. And so we, we are growing by leaps and bounds now in that space. And we're looking forward to uh, even even further growth. And, and you've got some of that locally here, Tony. Right? Yep, we work, we work with, uh, we have a, some school buses uh, in our geography here in uh, Metro East, uh, on the Illinois side of St. Louis. And they're yeah. In fact, uh, the school that we work with, I think they they're uh, they're adding to that fleet. That's great. If if you talk with the school bus OEMs, um, the uh, what one of the secrets is they have more customer loyalty. You know, because they have diesel, they have electric, they have um, they have gasoline, they have um, you know the, the, the various alternatives here, but. People who get started on propane are more loyal in their in their buses than any other fuel. So that's why a lot of them like you know like 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 you know utilizing that that propane in their uh, in their school buses and and nothing brings more uh, you know more clean safe transportation than than propane. You know if you if you take the incremental cost of what it takes. To, uh, uh, to go from a diesel bus to a propane bus, you're talking about $6,000 more. If you go from a diesel bus to an electric bus, 
we're talking about $250,000 more. So if you take that incremental cost, we can put 40 buses on the road for every one EV bus. Yeah, that's not, how much, how, that, that, that doesn't even take into effect the infrastructure cost too, right? Oh yeah, no, that's just the cost of the yeah. vehicle. That's not the, uh, you know, the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that are needed for every charging station that needs to keep that bus charged. Um, whereas, you know, one infrastructure for propane, because we're dispensing propane at the same rate as, you know, people are used to with gasoline and diesel. So you just pull up, fill up, go. And, you know, we, we have 400 mile ranges on, on propane bus, school buses now. So it's, uh, it's, it's certainly able to do way more than any other alternative fuel in, in cleaning up and making it safer for, for children to ride to and from school. That is amazing. Wow. So thanks again, you guys. Great, great information there. Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, reach out anytime, and uh, we, we'd love to be a part of your uh, of your of your podcast in the future. Uh, and any of your you know listeners that need any help regarding propane and all of its attributes, here at FERC, you can just go to propane.com and we'll take care of you. Thanks so much, Steve uh, and Tanya. As I mentioned, exciting stuff with propane autogas. So this has been FS Uncovered, the podcast of M&M Service Company. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Podbean or your supported podcast app.